Okay. <clears throat> Good morning. <clears throat> we'll see if I can actually get my voice. There we go. Good morning, everyone. Um, just to say, I've had no one since three weeks ago saying with that piece of music you've just heard, which intros our series every week up until after Easter, uh, which is a sample of varying pieces of fruit being cut, crushed, sliced, um, come to me to identify all the fruit. You know, there is a prize at stake here, unspoken of yet, but it does exist. And so do come if you ever get a clue as to all of the bits of fruit that are involved in the sample that produces that bit of music together. But that isn't where I want to start. Rather, I want to start here by introducing a lady who will come on a screen behind me called Kim Fu. Kim Fu uh, works for an organization called the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization. And she works for them as a goodwill ambassador. Uh, she's an incredible individual who um, tours the world, probably averaging 20 different conferences a year, where she goes ahead and speaks on the subject of forgiveness and how forgiveness can lead to peace. She particularly has a heart to speak to those that are in their teenage uh, years in order to in kind of encourage them to pursue a life that's different to the one they see ahead of them, uh, in order that they could potentially see a different sort of world. Now, at this point, you can think, well, that, that's quite an, an amazing sort of life to live. There's something attractive about someone who's given themselves. It's been recognized by the United Nations as someone who's got something to say on the subject of forgiveness leading to peace. However, there's something more incredible, I think, about Kim, is that actually Kim is known for a totally different image. And depending on your age, you'll recognize this image. And so I wonder if we can get the next image up. And that is that Kim is the little girl that you see naked in the center of this page. And that little girl was a girl who, at the, towards the end of the Vietnam uh, conflict, uh, was involved in a horrific moment where some napalm bombs, were napalm bombs were dropped, and this was the result. That's an image that went through the world, uh, of an image of a small girl uh, losing her family and losing her dignity at that point in time. Uh, it took 14 months for her to recover in hospital. The guy who took the photo there was then involved in taking her to hospital, ensuring that she got the best care that she could get. After 14 months in hospital, she was then uh, used as part of a propaganda machine for the Vietnamese government to show the horror of what capitalism does. However, 10 years later, after this photo, Kim was wanting to make some sense of her life was wanting to make some sense of why she'd had to suffer. And so she found herself in a library. And in the library, she was just reading different religious books. And in her words, she then came across the New Testament. And as she came across the New Testament, it, for her, it suddenly made sense of the suffering that she'd encountered and how she could finally know peace. And from that point on, she put her faith in Jesus. Uh, that was to the horror of her parents, and they had to work through that. But she was to live a life saying, actually, I want to make Jesus at the center of it. And as a result of that, it gave her the strength to actually forgive those that had marked her life literally from that point on. Several years later, she got married. And for their honeymoon, her and her husband decided, because obviously they're in a communist state, to go on holiday to Moscow. That's where you go. However, they had a different plan. And that was on their flight to Moscow. They stopped off in, uh, uh, wherever it is, Canada. I'm about to say California, but it isn't there. It's Canada. 
and they defected whilst in uh, Canada. And from that point on, Kim gave her life to actually saying, maybe I'm here to make a difference. Maybe I'm here to reveal the power that peace has. And so that's what she sought to do. And she said that often she sits and, or stands in lectures and she'll speak. And she just shows that image. And then she talks about the power of her own forgiveness and the peace it's brought her and the peace it's able to bring to others. And so often people hear her speak and say, well, if that girl there in that photo could do that, if she can forgive, then surely I can. There is something incredibly attractive about forgiveness that leads to peace. There's something incredibly attractive about an individual who's able to both demonstrate peace and speak of peace. And this morning, I want us to continue to look at our series uh, entitled Fruit the Last, where we're getting to look at the fruits of the Spirit. And as we're going to look at it, we're going to look at the whole fruit of peace. I want us to understand is what we see as an ambassador of it in respect to Kim actually is something that's true for anyone who's a follower of Jesus. That actually gets to reveal this fruit that is unbelievably attractive and tastes incredibly good. And so if you've got a Bible, if you want to turn to uh, Galatians 5 verses 22 to 23, and as we've said week on week, we'll keep saying it, is this is a kind of our two verses that we're using as a springboard each week in order to uh, have a starting point to then launch to discover more of what it looks like to be characterized by these fruits. Now in it, what we're going to discover is, as we've seen week on week, is these are fruits of the Spirit. In other words, this isn't like a series where we're trying to say how to live a better life. But rather what we're saying is this is fruit that's meant to characterize us as followers of Jesus. That once we've put our trust in Jesus, we're told that the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes and dwells within us. And in the Spirit coming to dwell within us, he's then seeking to produce a different character within us. That then reveal, is then revealed through the actions we then take. And what we're told is that isn't some sort of... <clears throat> passive thing that we then just wait and see how the Spirit does it, but rather it's active, that we have a part to play, that the Spirit is both leading us into producing fruit, and also we have then a decision to follow the Spirit's leading, to get in line with where the Spirit wants to lead us. And so Paul writes to the Galatians this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. What Paul's saying is it isn't that as followers of Jesus, sometimes we reveal peace, sometimes we reveal faithfulness, sometimes it's gentleness, sometimes it's joy. He's saying that actually, as a follower of Jesus, the Spirit is working within you in order that we would be individuals who reveal our following of Jesus by being characterized by these nine fruits. That it isn't that we just look to have a few of them, but rather that all of them are to characterize our lives. And so as we each week take one of the fruit, it isn't then saying, well, this one's the most important. It's rather saying, let's get to grips with the immensity, the magnitude, the beauty of the characteristics we're to have in our life as followers of Jesus. So let's start then with peace. The word peace uh, that is used here often there's words in the original uh, kind of writing of the Bible in the Greek that uh, often have a much deeper meaning to the, the one that we can hear just by seeing a word and so immediately when we hear the word peace often we can just think of like a tranquil state or uh, the, the kind of taking away of conflict 
However, in the original writing, what was meant here by this word peace is a far greater, richer word. In essence, what it means is peace equals wholeness. That's what's been on offer here, that there's a sense of what the fruit is trying to produce, in, the, the Spirit is trying to produce in us as fruit, is, is wholeness within our whole life. That how we then are able to act is out of a whole place. Now, at this point, we could quickly fast forward and say, well, what does it look like then to live in wholeness? But for us to understand how we live in wholeness, we need to understand why we need it. Because actually, we live in a day and age, in a world that, that isn't whole. That we live and act and, and kind of around a world where there is separateness, where there is brokenness. You see it through TV programs that are on. You only got to watch Channel 4 from 9 o'clock onwards where it's continuously showing program after program that's questioning how your life could be better, how it could be more whole. It's not only through the TV programs. You could look online and just find and discover the millions that is spent in the pursuit of knowing wholeness. Wholeness in respect to our mind or wholeness in, in how we look or wholeness in respect to how we act towards others. You have to turn on the news, I'm sure, today and, and discover where there isn't wholeness, where there's conflict in the nations around us. And where it seems as though there's points where there's peace. And so you get moments like in Northern Ireland where it just seems like, oh, maybe it's, it's got together. Maybe what's happened there, that there's finally peace. And then suddenly out of nowhere, suddenly the tensions are back and the peace seems so momentary. But if we're honest, we also know it to be true because of individually. Because actually individually, we all know what it is to have moments where we just know that we're not at peace. We just don't feel whole. We feel separate to others, even sometimes separate to ourselves. That if we're really honest, that we kind of know what it is to feel broken. And you see, it's into that place, it's into that need that actually the Bible helps us. The story of God helps us. See, the Bible isn't like a book of rules. It isn't kind of a dictatorship, a kind of manifesto. It's, it's rather a story, a story of God who created everything, dealings with humanity and his love and care and, and desire for them. And so actually, as we look at the Bible, it, it makes sense of the brokenness that we see around us, the brokenness, uh, the kind of separation that we can know individually. It kind of allows us to understand something of the origin and therefore the need of that wholeness. See, the Bible actually allows us to understand how peace was broken or what broke peace. In Genesis 3.8 it says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. See, sometimes we can think about, maybe you're, you're familiar with the stories of the Bible or, maybe Bible, or maybe you're not, but sometimes we can hear things and we think, well, yeah, that's kind of something there, but you know, we've kind of heard that all before, or maybe we're thinking, well, it kind of seems a bit kind of novel, 
uh, and a bit unusual. However, the, the Bible is trying to tell us the story of actually where we originate from. And there's just this beauty as we allow it to speak to us time and time again. And so what we find is that this moment where this kind of conversation goes on is in a backdrop of what we know as the Garden of Eden, the origins of humanity, where you have God's relationship revealed with how it's going to be in humanity, of, of man and woman living in complete wholeness, of living in complete peace. And in, it, in that setting of complete wholeness, where they just knew what it was to be perfect in relationship with one another, perfect in relationship with themselves, perfect in relationship, most importantly, with God, they knew what it was to kind of live with God, to, to stroll around the garden with God. He who we know is invisible was visible to them. And in that moment, in that time, God says, actually, out of my love and care for you, I want to ask you not to eat of the fruit. Fruit's always in the story. I don't want you to eat of the fruit of one tree, a tree of good and evil, because it's for your best. But because you've got freedom, I've put the tree here, and it's up to you. See, I don't know who you think God is. Maybe you think God's some sort of uh, one who's kind of staged it all. It's like a big puppeteer and says, kind of, right now I'm going to pull your strings there. But actually, God isn't like that. God, from the very beginning, is one who, out of his love for us, has produced us with freedom. So we have the free choice to love him and to live under his love or not. And you see it from the very beginning. So at the very beginning of the story, we find that God who's created and fashioned humanity in his image, man and woman in his image, says, now you've got freedom to live under my desires for you, under my love for you. What does humanity do? What does man and woman do? Well, it does what we've always done. It says, actually, well, you may say you love me, but I think I may know better for myself. And rather than choosing to live with God at the center, mankind chooses to live with us at the center. And we can look back, as we often say, you can look back and say, well, Adam and Eve, you got it wrong. Actually, within all of us, we all decide to say, actually, I think I can make a better sense of my life. I think I can make this work. And so what we find is, that's how it worked out. That humanity decided to say, yeah, we can do our own way. We can go our own way. We're going to make a sense of it. And so they eat of the fruit. And as a result of that, everything breaks. It breaks in the most tragic way. A tragic way that actually we can look back and think well, it's a bit weird, isn't it? That you've got a man and a woman and they kind of stroll around naked. That's like kind of a bit out there. And we will come back to this a bit later, but being naked is a bit weird. We kind of don't like to talk about that. But there was something that was being spoken of in them being naked that suddenly is robbed of them as soon as they eat of this fruit. We're told that God turns up. At this point, when God turns up, he knows where they are. It isn't like, oh no, I can see everywhere, but where are Adam and Eve? No, no this moment, God knows exactly where they are. They're hiding in a bush. And he's thinking, come on, I know what's happened here. But he needs them to come to terms with what's happened. So he said, where are you? And Adam gingerly kind of steps out from the bush, kind of lifts his head from the bush. He says, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because we we're afraid. We're naked. And at that point, 
everything breaks. We know it's broken. It's kind of broken before this point, but you kind of know it's broken because suddenly everything has changed. It isn't about physically whether they've got clothes on or not. It's the fact that that moment, Adam and Eve feared God. The one who up to that point they just used to like walking around with. And they felt so ashamed that they had to hide. They felt full of guilt. And that's what happened. As soon as that wholeness, as soon as that peace was taken, suddenly what was replaced was guilt and shame and hiddenness and fear. You see, it didn't end there. What happened was that that taking away of peace then, then meant actually there was this added brokenness that went in that was to characterize both Adam and Eve's life, but actually characterizes every individual's life in humanity. And that's a brokenness that we can see that's then in respect to how we're able to relate to God, in that our relationship with God is broken. It's a brokenness not only in how we relate to God, but also how we can relate within ourselves. Just, just for a moment, let's just take a moment. It doesn't bother me, right? If your baby's crying, that doesn't bother me. I, I, I can do this to the calcum time. I had three children in the house while I worked, and they used to make lots of noise when I'd underage. It never bothered me. I switch off. Let's not worry about it, man. We can have noise. It's okay. If your kid cries, we're okay with that. Okay, we continue. Broken relationship with God. Broken relationship within ourselves. And then broken relationship with others. Suddenly it allows us to understand that that sense of why we need wholeness is because we're broken, we're separate, we're separated to God, we're separated to ourselves, we're separated to one another. And that's the story of the Bible, it allows us to understand our own humanity. See, we haven't got some historical book that we kind of look back on with nostalgia, rather we've got something that allows us to understand our very selves. And boy, do we live in a day and age where we need to bring some understanding you see, the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end with just a statement of brokenness. It actually is a story that talks about restoration. It talks about peace restored. You see, at moments of history, when something significant happens, the media sniff around to find out what's going to be the first response that's spoken of in that key moment. So I could talk back of, of the 33 Chilean miners that were stuck underground for 69 days, half a mile underground. Man, we live with hindsight now. We think, oh, they all escaped. Man, at the time, no one knew. Day 67, there was a hope, but no one believed it might still happen. Day 69, they're all brought out, all 33 of them. The media that had been camped out for several months, kind of are there, humming, waiting for who's going to be the first person to speak, what's going to be recorded as a response to what these guys have lived through. And this is what one of the men says. They gave us back our lives. I was with God, I was with the devil, and, the God, and God won. Man, in a moment where the international media are coming on, skeptical about who God is, and suddenly they get this guy who comes out from the ground and says, man, I feel like I was with the devil, and I was with God, and, and God won. And it gets printed, headlined everywhere across the world. 
end of last year, December, tragic event, the Newtown shootings in America, cause a nation to have to figure out again what on earth are they going to do in terms of uh, the gun laws. Parents step forward, first time publicly speaking, with a president present, everyone's going to listen to what they say. And what is their message? Isn't retaliation. It's they come and a, and a lady steps forward, one of the mums, and she just says, we're not going to be known for the shooting. Love wins. And everywhere over the media, on the website, if you, if you type into Google, love wins, the first thing that comes out is their shootings. Suddenly they're spun what was tragic for them. They're living in the pain of, and suddenly say, actually, this is what this is going to be known for. Or maybe you think of when one of the first astronauts, Frank Borman, on Apollo 8, gets to look back from the moon, not literally on the moon, but looking back from around the moon at the Earth. And this is what he says. When you're finally up at the moon, looking back on Earth, all those differences and nationalistic traits are pretty well going to blend. And you're going to get a concept that maybe this really is one world. And why the hell, sorry about that, can't we learn to live together like decent people? A hardened astronaut looking back at the Earth looks at it and says, man, you can't see the borders. Surely we're just one. And the media run with it. The guy, this guy, I listened to an interview on Radio 4 with him a few weeks ago. And he said at the time, he just was saying what he thought. And it wasn't until afterwards, some years afterwards actually, that actually someone quoted back to him what he said. And he said, man, I said, that was pretty profound. And, and in it, he then found that he realized that what he'd seen was something that everyone has to grasp. And now he lectures around the world talking about how we need to live in a world without borders through a perspective of something he speaks. Now at this point, I'm not trying to give us some great sayings that different people have said. What I'm trying to build us to is that in key moments, words are spoken that bring some sense of what's just gone on. What about when someone rises from the dead? At that point, surely what they say matters. See, when Jesus had died cruelly on a cross, we then find that he's resurrected and at that point is around his friends. At that moment when he's speaking to his friends for the first time, what he says in that moment surely counts. And what we find in John chapter 20, verse 19, that Jesus says this. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and simply said, or said, peace be with you. Of all the things that Jesus could say at that point, when his friends are around him, he's just resurrected, he says, peace be with you. Man, why? Well, for Jesus, it summarized everything that he just accomplished. That everything, it made sense of everything they'd just seen him go through in terms of his crucifixion. That as he stood there, resurrected before them, what he wanted them to know is what he'd achieved was peace. That whilst he was restless on the cross, whilst he was broken on the cross, what he was achieving for anyone who put their trust and faith in him was peace. That they wouldn't ever have to be restless, they wouldn't ever have to be broken, because he was. They could know wholeness. We could know wholeness. And it's why Paul, when he was 
writing about who Jesus is, says, man, Jesus, who's he? Well, he's, he's like the new Adam. And where there was that Adam in the garden who kind of caused there to be this brokenness, actually now there's Jesus, this new Adam, that anyone lives from him gets to just know wholeness. A wholeness in respect to what? Well, a wholeness in respect to what was broken. A wholeness in respect to how we relate to God, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to one another. And so I want to just to finish just looking briefly at those three things. See, what it means to live being characterized by a fruit of peace is that we now get to know peace with God, peace within ourselves, and peace towards others. And this isn't something that we have to will within ourselves, but rather something that the Spirit is working within us to reveal, working within us to lead us in. So in respect to peace with God, Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because of what Jesus did on the cross, it's meant that everyone who puts their trust in him can now know peace with God, can now know restored relationship with God, can now know that wholeness of what it is to relate to God out of his love for us. See, sometimes we can think, well, yeah, yeah, of course, I've got peace with God. But we mustn't ever grow accustomed to it. We must keep being marveled. We must keep marveling at it. See, it means the reality of everything we celebrated a few weeks ago in terms of the fact that God is love and we therefore get to relate to God out of his love for us. It means that in us having peace with God now means that we get to relate in this God who is love to us. Therefore means that we get to know that we're loved, accepted, valued, get to live from that place of security and comfort. John Stott says this, there is no peace like peace with God. It is peace with God as an objective fact, which is the foundation of the peace of God as a subjective experience. For our judge has become our father and our creator, our friend. See, what John Stott's saying is actually, as we know we have peace with God, it then allows us to know that because we've got peace with God, how we relate to God isn't out of fear, but actually of understanding that now we're, we're whole with him. We're able to relate to him. That that allows us now, out of having peace with him, that we can know peace, the peace of God in us. That we get to know, yeah, because I relate to God as a father and a friend, it changes who I am. I don't operate out of kind of this sense of, man, I wonder if I'm okay. Because actually I realize, man, the God of the universe, the creator of everything, loves me. I'm at peace with him. I can call and approach him as a father. Therefore, I'm able to live from that place of peace. I'm able to live defined by how he sees me. My identity comes from God. My security is in God. My quick question is, is it? Can we say that actually out of my peace with God, I live from being identified with him and being secure in him? And that's an uncomfortable question because it's a closed question, isn't it? It's either yes or no. See, if it is, yes. If we know what it is to say, I've got peace with God. My identity is in him. My security is found with him. Actually, what it does is it starts to allow us to understand how Jesus has restored not only peace with God, but also peace within ourselves. So that we can know peace within. 
Well, how do we know peace within? Well, I'd say first we know it because we're able to be naked. Yeah, I said it. We can know peace to be naked. At this point, some of you are feeling quite nervous because you're like thinking, man, are we about to go naturist? Are we about to like shed the clothes? And most of you are thinking, oh, nah, nah, we're not going to. Oh, no, we are. No, we're not. This. Let's go back. Do you remember the story of Eden? What went on there? See, nakedness, when Adam and Eve realized they were naked, it kind of revealed something. It revealed that they felt vulnerable. It revealed that they needed to hide. It revealed that they felt ashamed and guilty. But the thing is, once you've got peace with God and you know that your identity is in Him, you know that your security is in Him, actually you don't need to hide anymore. You don't need to kind of feel guilty or ashamed anymore because you realize that God actually accepts you and loves you. And suddenly you realize that actually maybe you can live naked. Which has nothing to do with clothes you wear. It's about who you see you are. It means that we don't have to put masks on or pretenses to pretend that we're something we're not. Rather we get to be this vulnerable, real people that says, this is who I am. What's and all? Not trying to pretend to be something different, but rather saying, actually, out of who God is, who loves me, who's for me, I'm secure in that place. And I live from that place. And I then give myself to learning to live more and more from that place. I tell you what, the world finds it incredibly scary to find people who are okay with being naked. Because actually it's people who who aren't going to be affected by what people say about them. Who aren't going to be affected by what the the world says is how we're meant to be. But rather a bunch of people who say, actually I'm going to be defined with how God sees me. And God loves and accepts and cherishes me. And therefore I get to live from that place. And we need to get that in us. And I promise you, the more and more you get that in you, the easier this skin becomes. But it's not only that we get to live naked, I'd also say that it means that we get to deal with any circumstances. This is kind of what Shazzy was pointing us to when in Paul writing to Philippians says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the deal is, our lives will hit circumstances that are hard. Anyone who kind of stands up and says, if you follow Jesus, your life's going to be totally fine. Nothing bad's ever going to happen. You're going to kind of breeze every exam, breeze every kind of job interview. There's no way anyone's going to make you redundant. There's no way like anything's going to ever bad happen to you. No one's ever going to say anything wrong of you. No one's going to do anything. Your life's going to be sorted. You're definitely going to find a lifelong partner. Everything will be fine. They're a liar. Total liar. What the Bible says, what Jesus said is actually, you can know you're going to live in a world where there's trouble and it's coming your way. But don't worry, I'm with you. Therefore, Paul kind of gets this and says, all right, so then how do we deal with that? That stuff's going to happen. What do we do? Do we then get anxious? Because I don't know about you, but I find it when circumstances change and I think this is out of my control, I feel a bit wobbly. 
I suddenly think, man, what could happen here? I start to not feel as rested. I don't feel as peaceful. I don't feel as whole. Paul says, well, that's kind of normal, but it doesn't have to remain like that. He then says, well, what do you do then in those points? Well, first of all, you pray. In other words, you say, God, I'm going to trust you with this situation. You bring petitions. In other words, you say, I'm going to be very specific. God, this is the circumstance I'm dealing with. God, would you come and help me in it? Third thing he says is, right, prayer petition, then be thanksgiving. That isn't thankful. of God, I thank you that you're going to answer my prayer. God, I thank you you're going to totally sort this one out. That isn't that. It's thankfulness about who God is. God, I thank you. I'm at peace with you. That I know your peace within me. I thank you for that. I thank you for my identity, my security being in you. And then what does Paul say? say? And then after you've got to that point, prayer, petition, thanks, God sorts it all. No. He says, and God will give you peace that will transcend all understanding. God doesn't promise deliverance. Promise deliverance. He doesn't say he's going to sort it all. He does promise that within the circumstance, he will give us peace. Man, I tell you what, there is a way that one can shine incredibly bright when you're amongst the people who are facing uncertainty. And in that point, in that place, you know wholeness, you know peace. And people say, how come you're like this? Even though we're all living, not knowing what the outcome's going to be. In that moment, people notice. I've got a friend of mine who uh, has just lived through his company, kind of working through just massive uncertainty. And within it, he's able to be a level head. He's able to say, actually, this isn't what's going to define me. No, my, my security, my identity is somewhere else. It doesn't mean that sometimes I don't wobble about it. But I, I find incredible security and comfort here. I tell you what, that's incredibly attractive. So it gives us peace within. And then lastly, I'd say it gives us peace with others. Matthew 5, 9 says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. This is an incredible, incredible privilege. And Jesus says, well, what's a life to be congratulated? Well, it's one that where you get to bring peace. One where you get to bring peace, which actually reveals that you're part of God's family, that you get to show the family trait. So how do we do it? Well, I'd say how we show this family trait of revealing forgiveness is firstly how we relate to people. I think we need to be those that are continuously living, understanding the Spirit is giving us strength, uh, the peace, and the Spirit is working within us, that we're seeking to live to bring peace to people rather than conflict. Man, it seems to me whenever I talk to my friends who are unbelievers, they, they seem to think that Christians are out to kind of get in as many arguments as possible. But I thought we were going to be the blessed, the peacemakers. Therefore, we need to be those that are looking within every conversation to think, how can I bring peace here? How can I bring wholeness here? It doesn't mean it's peace at any price. It doesn't mean that we're kind of sweeping everything under carpet and say, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. No, it's that actually out of love, we understand that peace is costly. Man, the peace we enjoy is costly. It costs Jesus' death. Therefore, to be bringers of peace means it'll be costly to us. It means that sometimes we have to lay aside our own rights. It means that sometimes we have to, out of love for someone, confront them. And then to see it through, it isn't that we just confront them and walk off, but rather we say, because I love you, I want to be with you through this. 
So I say it's peace in how we relate to people. Can I just practically how we do that? Just quickly snap it out there and then you can pick it up in small groups. Firstly, I'd say separate your emotions from the event as you're trying to build relationship with people. Be quick to forgive and apologize. Talk to people quickly when you need to ensure there's peace within your relationship. Don't talk to everyone else around that person. Talk to the person that you need to. Involve others if you need to. Decide to trust. And lastly, always leave the door open. Sometimes there's just some people where you can give everything you can to live as at peace with them as possible, but they don't want it. It isn't that we keep battering them, saying, now receive peace, because that ultimately isn't going to work. It's that rather we just say, well, whenever you want to talk, I'm here. And that might be in a month, it might be in 10 years. But whatever we've done, we've just left the door open. Next one, let's deal with our prejudice. These are all going to speed up now. Deal with our prejudice is this. Basically, what Jesus revealed is that actually everyone is equal. Everyone is loved by God. Therefore, let's ensure in our want to bring peace that we never alienate anyone or cause anyone to think they're outside of God's love. Let's always understand that actually everyone is welcome to God. And let's never ever be the barrier for anyone getting into understanding God's love. Which means that we have to deal with what's in our hearts. Man, I promise you, all of us here have a prejudice. Man, just quickly ask yourself a couple of questions. You know, where do you not like going in Birmingham? What sorts of people do you not like being in a room with? Man, who do you go overboard to make it seem like you like them? And I promise you, within those three ones, you'll quickly find some of your prejudice. Let's deal with it. In order that we can be those that actually say, man, God didn't show prejudice against me. I will not do it with others. Then the last two. Let's be messengers of this peace. Let's be those who are quick to speak about the one who's brought us peace. Quick to reveal the one who's brought us peace. And along with being messengers, I want to keep this separate, but I think it's linked in it, is let's be those who are givers of peace. See, it isn't enough just to simply speak about the wonder of, of the wholeness that Jesus offers. We have to be those that not only speak of it, but show it. Therefore, we need to be givers of it. See, if, if Jesus offers us peace by wholeness, actually, he's understanding that the actions that you and I can take can bring that wholeness. That might be through comfort. It might be through care. It might be through praying for healing. It might be through providing for someone's needs. And we think, but that's got nothing to do with peace. Oh, it totally has. It's evidence of the peace that Jesus offers, of his wholeness. Anything that's working towards the wholeness of someone begins to point them to the one who can bring them total wholeness, Jesus. So to finish off, we get to live in and reveal a life characterized by peace. And the question is, are we? Are we living in a life characterized by peace? Maybe for some of us, it's that we're at the point where we're needing to investigate this life of what it means to put Jesus at the center. But for many of us, it will mean that we need to continuously come back to the point of remembering what it is to have this life of peace. And that out of remembering it, we continuously give ourselves to revealing it. 
Now, what we're wanting to do, and for some of you are regular oasis, you kind of know that it's midday, and you're thinking, man, we end at midday. But the thing we've kind of realized about oasis is this. We like starting late. We like finishing on time. Now, the problem with that issue is that um, if you always start later and later, it means that actually you can never get together enough. And so what about if we do the start time we all like, and then we just allow a bit of time, because we've started late, to enable us to do the other bit, to keep meeting and to do each other good, which means, therefore, with a cunning use of the time, that we still have 15 minutes left. Because we're 15 minutes late, we're 15 minutes late. Now, some of you are thinking, man, are you legalistic? No, no, we're not that at all. We just love meeting. And therefore, it isn't at midday, we think, right, 12 o'clock, all church services must end, bang. Dinner's on, let's go. No, it's to actually say, well, man, we stop it late, let's just keep going. Therefore, the worship band are going to come back at this point. And what we're going to do, we've got 15 minutes. And in those 15 minutes, we're going to get to just wonder at this God who we have peace at. Hopefully the worship band are going to come back. Otherwise, I tell you, it's going to be very painful if it's just me. Um, we're just going to be on G and C chords, and we'll see what happens. And I haven't played a guitar for two years, so we know what's going to happen. Um, but, but in it, as we come just to marvel at this God that we enjoy peace with, I want us to take the moment to, maybe for some of us, to say, God, I want you to reveal your peace to me. Maybe we're on a journey of just trying to discover who Jesus is. And we're just saying, Jesus, if this is true, I want more of it for me. Maybe for others of us, it's what Shazzy said in the, that opening part of worship, is saying, actually, Actually, I know there's stuff I'm concerned about. And Jesus wants us to know, man, it's into that situation I want you to know peace. And maybe for others of us, it's as we come and just allow the wonder, the truth of God's peace to us to just penetrate more and more of our hearts. That we say, now, as it penetrates me more, I, I want to reveal it more. I don't want to kind of leave this morning thinking, oh, that was all right. I'll just get on with my life. Actually, I want to, I want to live a life. Like Kim, one that actually people spot and say, man, you stand out by your want to bring peace wherever you go. Shall we stand? I'm just going to pray for us and then hand over to Naomi and the band. Jesus, I thank you so much for just the wonder of your gospel. I thank you for the wonder of the life that you're able to offer us. I thank you that the life that you offer us is one that is just abundantly fruitful. I thank you just in us looking, Holy Spirit, the way you're wanting to bear fruit in our lives. Jesus, we, we just say, Holy Spirit, we say you're so welcome to do it in us. Jesus, we want to be a community of people that give ourselves to just working with you, to seeing these fruit come out of our life. And God, we, we just say, as we've centered in our peace, I pray would you bring more of your peace that transcends, goes beyond our understanding, goes beyond what we can imagine into our hearts and lives that would change the root of who we are. We ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.